What's up everyone and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host Mike DiCibeto and today we are going to discuss how one of the most abundant molecules in the known universe, hydrogen, might lower the emissions of the industrial sector. The sector that emits some of the most carbon in our world but also builds basically everything we need to survive as a modern society. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. Lately, there's been a flurry of banks and tech companies that have pledged to reduce their direct carbon emissions by usually around 30% by the year 2025 or 2030. Those companies decarbonizing is a good risk mitigated practice and extremely important, but the direct, the scope one or scope two emissions of these companies are often relatively low compared to what I'm going to call throughout this podcast as the heavy industry sector, the sector that makes the material we all need to survive as a modern society. I'm talking steel, cement, and petrochemicals. And lately, there has been a lot of discussion around how the heavy industry sector can become greener as regions rush to meet their emissions reduction goals. Often the talk is about incorporating renewables into their energy mix, but for heavy industries such as steel and cement, the use of renewables is a bit more complicated because of the high and sustained heat required to make their products. Yet if we do not find a way to decarbonize the sector as a whole, we will have a hard time meeting our climate goals. So today we are going to talk about two things. First, how the progress to lower industrial emissions is going, and then we are going to discuss one of the newer low-carbon fuel sources that the sector is trying to use to achieve their carbon emission goals. To discuss the sector as a whole, I first reached out to my colleague and co-host Bentley Kaplan, who covers industrial conglomerates for us, and he told me that to decarbonize the heavy industry sector, there is a lot more work that needs to be done. Things aren't really going that well. It's basically because these are industries that have not been actively decarbonizing over the past five or 10 years in the, in the way that you've seen with industries like autos where, you know, electric vehicle development has been happening quite publicly for a while. You know, these are industries that would include uh, cement producers, chemical companies, steel companies, and, and stuff like paper and mining. You know, these are industries that are pervasive and and ones that the sort of the global economy depends upon. So, you know, a lot of a lot of your everyday activities and, and goods rely on these industries, but they have been taking a very long time to get going in terms of decarbonization. And there are a number of reasons for that, chief of which is the kinds of production infrastructure that they have is not conducive to some of the easier wins that you've seen with decarbonizing, you know, like using renewable energy, uh, you know, through wind and, and solar has not been as easy to plug big industry into into those production infrastructure that they have. And the reason for that is because, as I noted before, the cement and steel industry, and to a lesser extent the petrochemical industry, they need a sustained energy source to build the massive amounts of heat needed to make steel or make cement. For example, to make steel, you need to heat a furnace to about 1700 degrees Celsius. It's a similar process for making cement. And due to that, Cement and steel have a massive carbon footprint in our society. Cement accounts for about 8% of all global emissions, and steel is responsible for 7-9% to of all direct emissions from fossil fuels. And so what steel does, I'm going to focus on steel here, uh, they use two methods to get to that massive amount of heat. They either use an integrated blast furnace system, also called basic oxygen furnace, or an electric arc furnace. 
Those blast furnaces need to use fossil fuels to break down the steel ingredients. They cannot really use renewable energy at the moment. The electric arc furnaces can use renewable energy, but they are used to a much lesser extent than the blast furnaces. So, at the moment, the heavy industry sector is just trying to make the use of those blast furnaces more efficient. They're not able to really lower their absolute emissions. What you do have is, is companies adopting sort of efficiency measures. So they're not necessarily changing how they do it. They're just becoming more efficient at what they do and using less fossil fuel, which is a positive um, in that it reduces the, the, you know, their total emissions. But there's a couple of questions around that. The one being you are using investments that could be going towards low carbon solutions or R&D um, to become slightly more efficient um, and therefore you know, reducing investments in new technology, which is ultimately, I think, what you know, a lot of people are saying about industrials is that in order to, to decarbonize, they need something more aggressive and more innovative, whether that, you know, that is going to be something like hydrogen, which is, you know, at the early stages of sort of pilot projects. Um, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, wind energy 15 or 20 years ago, you know, the, the proof of concept is there, but price parity is not. So it's, it's not actually economically feasible to, to bring hydrogen on, you know, large scale yet. Um, there are other options as well, you know, including biomass um, and biofuels. Similar kind of challenge, you know, how do you how do you get that infrastructure built? How do you get the the price parity? Regardless about the price parity, because we'll get back to that, the use of hydrogen as a green fuel is actually getting a lot of play right now. There's a steel mill on the banks of the Rhine in northwest Germany called the Duisburg plant. I probably pronounced that wrong. Apologies if I did. It's run by a company called Thyssenkrupp. I probably pronounced that wrong as well. And it's Europe's largest integrated steel mill. And it's trying to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 30% by 2030 from a 2018 baseline. An ambitious goal for the company that already has a greenhouse gas emissions intensity that's its emissions per dollar of sales that is below its peers. So to do that, it's using the much talked about carbon capture and storage systems and it's planning to convert the furnaces used at the Duisburg facility to use hydrogen. And so I'm going to get into what hydrogen is as an energy source in a second. But when I asked Bentley about this, uh, this move to incorporate hydrogen as a fuel for the industrial sector to meet its climate goals, he thought it was an interesting idea, but he noted that at the moment, there is a quiet debate happening in the ESG world about the use of hydrogen. Hearing about hydrogen as an, as an opportunity or, you know, low carbon um, option, there is quite, quite a polarized discussion. Um, and the believers are saying that the proof of concept is there. It just needs to be a question of, of getting the right economic levers in place so that it can be built at scale, which will then mean that it's more affordable. Um, then you have the skeptics who are saying that we already have renewable energy that's been, that's been proven to work um, and that hydrogen is acting as a bit of a distraction from that, particularly because there is conversation around green hydrogen. And that is when you're using renewable energy as the main energy input for producing this hydrogen. So in other words, you have hydrogen that's produced without a big, um, without a big you know, carbon footprint. Um, and as soon as you're doing that, you're taking renewable energy from elsewhere in the economy where it may be using, you know, maybe used in a, in a different kind of way. There, there is an, you know, there's an argument out there that there are current, you know, current invested interests in the fossil fuel sector that are pushing hydrogen because that can work with uh, an LNG type infrastructure because you can put it into uh, into this into you know similar similar ways of feeding industry with with oil and gas you can then use it to feed hydrogen fuel so that will make them you know relevant even in a low carbon transition 
This is 100% true, by the way. Hydrogen, one of the most abundant elements on Earth, the molecule that was in the Big Bang and gives the sun its energy, can indeed, as Bentley noted, utilize the current natural gas infrastructure for its transportation and storage. And it's being promoted widely at the moment. The UK government approved a 171 million pound grant for nine projects to help the country's net zero ambition. Four of those included building hydrogen infrastructure. Oil major BP is building one of those projects. Uh, it's a blue hydrogen production facility in the UK. In Norway, the government is directly investing in the Northern Lights carbon capture and storage blue hydrogen product with uh, Equinor, Total, and Shell. In the US, we are providing grants to further innovations in hydrogen technologies. Hydrogen fuel is also gaining popularity among airline manufacturers as a way to cut down on the sector's emissions. So it's being seen as a viable alternative fuel for governance to meet their climate goals. And so we've talked about hydrogen as it relates to the heavy industry sector, but I I've wanted to kind of discuss hydrogen as a standalone fuel source. Do we as a company believe that it is low carbon or do we view it as a uh, lesser carbon intense but still carbon emitting fuel source? And here's what Umar had to say. Companies that are utilizing hydrogen as uh, an alternative fuel source, either uh, to supply to clients or to use for themselves, uh, do get benefit uh, in terms of a reduced carbon emissions output because hydrogen is a combustible fuel, but it does not have any emissions associated, unlike, say, burning methane or natural, natural gas. But there are actually different types of hydrogen produced right now. There's something called gray hydrogen, and that's the most produced hydrogen that the world sees right now. And it's, it's from natural gas, and it uses this thing called steam methane reforming. And what it does is it creates both hydrogen, but it also creates carbon dioxide. And so it's less carbon intensive than just natural gas in its singular form, but it isn't really that much of a low carbon source. And then you have two low carbon techniques that Umar was predominantly talking about. There's blue hydrogen, which is hydrogen production that involves carbon capture and storage technology to capture the emitted carbon dioxide dioxide um, that's done when we create gray, gray hydrogen. And then there is green hydrogen. Green hydrogen is produced by applying a DC electrical current across a stack of dihydrogen monoxide, aka water cells. And when that happens, hydrogen comes off on one side and oxygen comes off on the other. Those hydrogen molecules are then used to store energy and they're used as a zero carbon energy source. If the electricity that breaks up the water cells is actually renewable. So all that being said, what the investment community needs to think about uh, is the promotion of hydrogen as a low carbon fuel source and whether or not it's better or comparable to say renewables. So that's a tricky question because one can't exist without the other. A necessary condition for green hydrogen to exist is rapid uptake and availability of uh, renewable energy. And uh, the cost curve of hydrogen is also, again, because of its production methods, uh, entirely dependent on the availability as well as the costs of renewable energy. So I, I wouldn't say that one uh, is a substitute for the other. Rather, they both complement each other and would be going uh, hand in hand going forward. There are still questions around hydrogen being cost prohibitive. Many researchers point to wind power 20 years ago as the good comparison of where hydrogen is today. That means a lot of companies that need it won't move toward it without incentives. 
Which brings us back to Bentley, because when we were talking about the heavy industry sector, I asked him what he thought would push it in the right direction when it comes to carbon emissions, if renewables are difficult to bring online because of their infrastructure setup, and if hydrogen was cost prohibitive at the moment. And his thoughts were actually on government regulators. In terms of, of regulating you know, carbon emissions or, or introducing more aggressive widespread carbon taxes, um, it's definitely one way of, of making low carbon solutions more attractive. But there are some immediate knock-on effects depending on, on which industry we're looking at. If we're looking at, you know, most of the industrials type companies and industries don't have big margins, right? So they they actually don't have the, the capacity to, to invest in new technology and to, to bring it online. Like it's going to take a long time and, and quite a lot of investment to do that. Um, so if you if you then turn to what are, you know, in some ways the, the cornerstones of sort of modern economies and say to a steel company, they've got to all of a sudden pay, you know, carbon tax that would be, you know, that would be a progressive, aggressive kind of carbon tax. You, it, it may be difficult for that business to continue. So, you know, it needs to be a sort of negotiated solution. The flip side, of course, is then you you might be able to impose this heavy carbon tax on a steel company based in Europe. But then, of course, you know, there's their global supply chains at play. So, how, you know, how does a European steel company then compare to one that is not being, you know, aggressively regulated elsewhere that doesn't need to worry about its margins as much? Um, and you know, going to have to then control that that supply chain as well, because ultimately the 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 investment or the cost of this low carbon transition is going to have to come from somewhere, um, and the companies only have so much give. It's going to have to come either downstream from consumers or you know come from a, a policy level where there are going to be incentives or, or or subsidies that can help these companies transition into a, a low carbon solution. And that's it for our show. I wanted to thank Benley and Umar for joining me to discuss this week's news with an ESG twist. And I want to thank you so much for listening. It's really appreciated. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe if you're capable of doing so. I hope you're all staying safe out there. Be well and have a good rest of the week. MSCI ESG Research podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.